You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms. We all know that the human body comes in all different shapes and sizes. However, most firearms do not. That is why Savage Arms has rolled out their AccuFit system on the 110 platform. AccuFit uses interchangeable components that allow hunters to custom fit both comb height and the length of pull without taking their rifle to a gunsmith. In fact, the only tool you need is a Phillips head screwdriver. If you want to find out more information about the AccuFit customization system, visit savagearms.com. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe, from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many day how many days a week do you spend on As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. Houndsman XP fans, we continue to work hard to bring you discounts for the gear that you need and we wanna start with dogs are treed and paws are protected it's that time of year crusty snow uh, frozen ground it's still dry and still rocky in the southwest so paws are protected build your pack from the ground up and i'll tell you about a few more products from dogs are treat the first product is these premium tie outs i talked to kevin the other day and he said he can't make them fast enough People are gobbling those up, and these are high-quality gangline tie-outs. They come, they, you can get a gear bag with those. Um, all the ends are crimped. This is a nice piece of gear for you to have. Their leashes are outstanding. They're really putting out some good product. And right now, you can go to Dogs Are Treat and enter the code HXP20% off. Capital letters, HXP20, use the percentage sign, OFF, all capital letters, at checkout, and you can get 20% off of premium gear from Dogs Are Treat. So check them out, Houndsman, selling high-quality products to Houndsman, paws are protected, tie-outs, medical kits, 
We're talking high-quality stuff available at Dogs Are Treed. Use the promo code HXP, 20% off at checkout. And you can support a great company that supports this podcast. It's a win-win, folks. I also want to talk to you about Freedom Hunters. Big things are coming from Freedom Hunters and uh, their relationship with us at Houndsman XP. We are working with uh, some major sponsors for upcoming events. We're coming out with some ideas where we can support a great organization. Freedom Hunters takes veterans from field to field. They also take Gold Star family members. Gold Star family members are people who have lost a warrior in their family, and they're designated as a Gold Star family member. There is no higher honor that you can bestow on America's warriors than paying some of those dividends back for the freedoms that we enjoy. Free casting a hound is a freedom that we get to enjoy, and that didn't come free. It came with a price. And Gold Star family members have paid the ultimate price, but also there are several, several thousands of warriors out there who Freedom Hunters is taking to the field every year, and we can take them on hound adventures. You can get involved by going to Freedom Hunters' website at freedomhunters.org, or you can go to our website at houndsmanxp.com and get a link right straight to there. If you want more information on how hosting a Freedom Hunters adventure can help preserve the freedoms that we have left, then contact me at houndsmanxp at freedomhunters.org. I'd be happy to talk to you. It's not hard, folks. And let's not make the uh, sacrifices that these warriors have made go in vain. Get involved today with freedomhunters.org. I also want to talk to you about Patreon. I'm just going to have a real uh, blunt conversation here. We have been hammered by supplies for uh, our Patreon patrons, and that has delayed shipment of the things that we promised you. We couldn't get a sticker. We couldn't get a tumbler. Everything has been backlogged. If you're in the construction industry like I am on my other life, uh, you know what kind of struggles we have been having getting material. And that has been a broad spectrum of things. Uh, how does COVID affect that? Well, when you have plant shutdowns, when you have supplies that can't get packed by people, uh, the shipping industry is way behind. So I just want to let you know straight up, what is going on with Patreon and where your benefits were if you joined us and supported us. And that is they weren't available, but they are now. We've got things back on track, and your shipment is will be gone. If you're a Patreon supporter, it will be in the mail by the time this podcast comes out. So we appreciate you. Seth works hard on Tailgate Talks. Uh, we've got pro tips over there. We've got deeper discounts on products for you as a Patreon supporter, and those are all available to you when you join us on Patreon. You can find our Patreon link and start supporting us today from our website at houndsmanxp.com and click the support button. It'll take you right to our Patreon page. We really need your help to, to uh, keep up the fight here 
we are going to continue to be your voice to preserve our freedoms in these perilous times, and we need your help. So join us at houndsmanxp.com. Hit the support button. Join us on Patreon. You can support us for as little as $1 per episode, and we continue to be your voice for hound hunting freedoms across the globe. Guys, we got a great show. Folks, we have a great show lined up. You are always asking for more hound stuff. If you don't get enough hound talk out of this episode, then I don't know what to tell you. I mean, this is Ken Fisher and Jacob Campbell, and we're going to talk about blue tick history. We're going to talk about an icon in the blue tick breed, uh, a great breeder, a great man, Mr. Kenneth Adkins from Clay, West Virginia. And Ken Fisher and Jacob Campbell are going to give us a lot of history on that line of dogs and how they are still impacting the blue tick breed today. So enjoy this show. Thanks for spending your time with Houndsman XP. Let's dump the box. Well, we're really fortunate this week to have uh, Jacob Cam- Campbell and uh, Ken Fisher on the podcast. These guys have uh, taken up a pretty epic chore here with uh, preserving the uh, Kenneth Adkin lines of blue ticks. And, and Jacob, I'll just start out with you. I mean, I appreciate your support you've given us on the podcast and, and your involvement on social media and, and with us. So how are you doing today, Jacob? Oh, I'm doing great. Um, you know, back, we'll go back to the podcast real quick. I, there's a couple podcasts out there that I, I do like, um, and we all know who they are, but I really, I really love what you guys are doing, Chris, cause it's, it's about all the hounds, you know, it's about all the people that, that put everything into their, their hounds from squirrels to, you know, coons to bears to everything, you know, even these coursing hounds. Yeah. Don't forget, uh, don't forget our uh, rabbit, right. d- rabbit dog guys, Alan Gingrich and, and, uh, you know, he's running up the UP he just came back from up there. I, I think he's back. He might be snowed in. I don't know, but he's headed up to the UP to, to chase some snowshoe hair this weekend. So, yeah, it's that time of year. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. We just had a, you know, we just had an over. We really had a vision to represent all houndsmen. Whether, you know, we've got we've got listeners from Australia and South Africa and Norway and and uh, Bulgaria. We've got one guy from Jap- Japan that listens. Um, so it's really pretty cool. I, I, it's really been rewarding. Yeah, on both ends, that's for sure. On my end as well, the listening and then uh, having the chance to be on here today. Yeah, and then uh, we have also have Ken Fisher from Western New York uh, that's uh, been in hounds for a long time and Ken, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good, Chris. How's uh, how's everything in your neck of the woods? Well, it's uh, it's kind of a dreary day here, but it's good. I took the took the the wrecking crew, my pit bull and uh, my boxer out. They they accompanied me on a walk through the woods this morning. So trying to get trying to get some exercise on them and on this old fat boy. So <laughs> yep. <laughs> I understand, Chris. I, I, I get it completely. 
We're yeah. just we're waiting for a big lake effect storm to start in here later this afternoon and tonight, and we're looking at maybe a foot, foot and a half of snow coming. So it, it's it about time. I, not in my book. I'm 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 good <laughs> with a green winter. I'm uh, I'm getting tired of uh, wading through snow to get to my dogs, and and uh, it, it's just I'm I'm tired of these kind of winters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, I am just excited to have you two on. And uh, I don't know who the best person is to talk about this. I'll let you two have a thumb wrestling match or whatever uh, over talk, introducing our audience to um, how you got involved with Kenneth Atkins and how that torch was passed on to you. So who wants to go first? I'm actually going to let um, Ken start because my story is a little shorter quite shorter than what his is um so let's do it all right go ken go ahead ken. well many long years ago when i was just 13 years old i got my hands on a full cry magazine and i found an ad for a bobtail blue tick and i just i i mean there was many other ads and stuff in there but that bobtail blue tick just interested me and so i started writing letters to this old hillbilly down in Clay, West Virginia. And he wrote back every letter I ever wrote, every one. He always responded, and uh, that is how I first met Ken Adkins is through a ad for a bobtail blue tick. Well, let's, and, just, let's just qualify that real quick. When you say hillbilly, <laughs> we, are, we are extremely appreciative of hillbillies. I have, am a hillbilly, and Jacob... Anybody that listens to you talk for more than five seconds knows you're a hillbilly. So it's all take good. A good look at Jacob. I know. <laughs> do you own anything besides bib overalls, Jacob? Yes, I do. Okay. I have, I, I'm, I'm very diverse. Good. <laughs> yeah. So go ahead, Ken. Let's hear it. Well, you know, and that's that's how I that's how I first met Ken and. Uh, I mean, the rest is history, as they say. We've it all started from there, and he he turned me on to a guy that lived over this way, a, a well-known gentleman who uh, had had Vaughn-blooded dogs for most of his life. His name was Steve Lee, and um, I bought several dogs off of off of Steve and and hunted with him just about right up till his death when he when he got cancer and got sick real bad, mm-hmm. and. Uh, um, Ken, you know, through, through Ken and through Steve, I, I mean, I was introduced to so many, so many people all, all because, all because of Ken. I mean, I bought dogs from Pat Rothwell, Jim Stanley. These guys were the foundation of what I have now. Mm-hmm. And out of all the dogs that I have now, there's only probably two or three that, that, that Ken Adkins name isn't in the pedigree somewhere. And most every one of my dogs is heavily influenced from, from his dogs. And, you know, like I said, from those original letters, we just started talking back and forth and he would send me all sorts of pictures and pedigrees, which I still have every single one of his letters. I have all the pedigrees pictures he ever sent me. Mm-hmm. And then we started meeting in a, in a place in Washington, Pennsylvania, which was just about halfway from Clay, West Virginia to where, to where I was born and raised in, in Western New York. 
and we've met there the almost exact same place for 30 straight years. And um, I can't tell you how many times a year we would make that trip to meet and swap dogs and bring pups and breed females and do this and do that, or I'd make the trip all the way down there and, and spend the night, do some hunting with him and his cousin Roy, or just go down for the day and, and, and come back. But, to, you know, going, going up Dog Run Road, the first, I'll never forget the first time I ever went up Dog Run Road, and I was coming around the bend, and you, and you see Cousin Roy, Roy Adkins' house on the left-hand side. You see that first, and then Ken's house is right across the road. There was, just, there was dogs everywhere. And uh-huh. I mean, some of the best beautiful bred dogs you ever seen in your entire life. And, you know, the, the routine, routine was usually the same with, with me and Ken. We'd go up and back. We'd look all the dogs over. We'd talk for a good hour or two. Then we'd walk across the road to Cousin Roy's house. And that was an adventure all on its own because you didn't know if you were <laughs> going to get attacked by some wild chickens, get eaten by a cow. You didn't know if you were going to get stampeded by a herd of husky puppies running around all over the place. Things were just a, a zoo at Roy's. But to walk to the edge of Roy's Hill and see 50 or 60 head of dog tied there, and it was just an amazing sight to see. And Roy hunted almost every one of them dogs. Roy hunted three, four, five dogs at a time every night. Wow. And, uh, you know, those are, those are memories that I grew up with, with my te- you know, through my teens. And, and seeing that and seeing these dogs that are in all these pedigrees today, seeing them firsthand, you know, was just it was it was an overwhelming experience, and I'm so glad that I've been a part of it. About how old were you with the first time you made that trip up Dog Run Road? I want to say, me and a buddy of mine. Oh, I'll never I'll never forget this trip either. It was the first time I ever went down there. Me and my me and my buddy Darren Covert drove down there, and we 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 spent the night down there. We hunted we hunted with Adkins Blue Dog Blue Six that night, and I was 15 years old. And just when we thought we were getting out of there with just the dogs we hunted with, all of a sudden, those two wanted to do some swapping and some trading. <laughs> well, needless to say, we came, we went down with, I believe, two dogs. I, if, if memory serves me correctly, we came back with eight or nine. <laughs> so, Did... you know, that, that, that was just my first, my first trip to dog run. You never knew, at least me personally, I, I know I can't be the only one, but you never knew what or how many you were coming back with when you went down there because if 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 ken or roy was in a trading mood or and if he had an idea about making a cross onto something that i had you could come back with four or five dogs that's great so did you obviously you didn't get skinned on that first deal or you wouldn't have gone back so uh nope. what what kind what kind of dogs did you did you uh end up coming home with Describe, describe, yeah, describe them. Well, actually, the, the the one dog that sticks out in my mind that has been a pivotal dog in in my breeding program and in my in my kennel, and his name still is he's the dog that I've line bred off of for all these years, was a dog by the name of Boomer, and uh, he was off of Ken Ken Adkins uh, Blue Dog Four, and a female by the name of uh, Misty. Mm-hmm. Well, I also wound up. I also wound up having the opportunity to own Misty. I got. I was able to work a deal with Ken where I was able. To, I was able to get her, and I brought Boomer back on that trip, and he turned out to be one of the best dogs I ever owned. 
and that Misty female, who was his mother, was the best female I've ever owned in 30 years. All right. So we'll get, let's, let's save some of this, uh, digging down into the history of the Adkins line, uh, mm-hmm. for, for a couple minutes, but Jacob, how did you get involved? Uh, well, um, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but fortunately I was able to get in touch with Kenneth back, uh, I guess a few years now ago. Um, I was, I had some of his blood in my kennels and, um, didn't 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 come from Kenneth it had came from other people or what have you and I was interested and I'd started looking up the bloodlines and what have you and I was interested in where these dogs come from so I'd I'd touch base with him on um messenger and uh we become friends what have you and um just through conversations uh with he, he and I and um it just grew into a friendship that um that kind of overwhelmed me, uh, honestly. Um, in what way, you know, it, How, what do you mean? The simple fact is, um, uh, if you knew Kenneth Atkins, um, and, and you knew him, even if you knew him just a little bit, he would touch every single person's heart. Um, I, I have yet to hear anything bad about anyone ever say a crossword. Um, Kenneth, um, it was just a good he really touched my life because we we went from just talking about dogs to talking about anything and everything every single morning i mean it went from he and i would touch base every morning touch base every evening and and keep in mind uh as time went on ken kenneth was getting um a little sicker what have you with his with his health and whatnot and um the dogs were a big part of his and our relationship, but it wasn't all of our relationship. Um, and as, as we talked, I ended up getting a few dogs or what have you. Um, not, not near as many as (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Fitcher, but, uh, but that's another story. Um, but I ended up with the Bragg's line of dogs that, that he kept. Um, I ended up with, um, and I ended up with the, the pup that he, he named Blue Dog Blue 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I show this pup quite a bit on social media as well. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, it, it's 100% his pup. I'm just taking care of this thing. Um, and I'm, I'm so proud to do it. Well, let's uh, go ahead. Finish your thought. Well, no. What I what I was saying is is <clears throat> you know I, I made a promise to carry on uh, his line of Blue Dog Blue, um, and it, it was funny because um, Kenneth introduced Ken and I um, together, and and he gave me just enough dogs that he knew that I would have to work with Ken <laughs> to make this. Uh, and I'm fine with that. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, I, I am very pleased. Um, but he had gave me just enough and, and put just enough out there that he knew I would have to seek for more information if I really, truly wanted to carry this on. 
and that's why Canada and I have become such good friends. Um, I feel you know it's a lifelong uh, friendship to come with uh, with Ken and I. You know. Yeah, that's pretty special. So, I mean, I, you you touched oh, on yeah. you touched on so many things there, Jacob. That you know we could make an entire podcast out of, but that's one of the things we always talk about on this show is. At the end of the day, I mean, you can have the greatest dogs in the world, but if you don't have somebody that you can share them with, that you can uh, share your successes and your failures, you know, what have you what have you really gained at that point? I, you know, plenty of people that have accomplished great things. That if you look at history, that accomplished great things, but what did they really accomplish if they don't have the relationships with people? You know, that's what defines our legacy as, as human beings. And, and, um, I, I heard a lot of different, you know, a lot of different things in there while you were talking. And, um, so talk to us a little bit about, let's just start with what type of hound. Tell me the attributes of a, a hound that would come from Kenneth Atkins breeding. Let's start with that. What are they used for? You know, what, if I went and bought an Adkins, if I found a, a puppy, if I got a puppy from either one of you, what could I expect as the strong points in that puppy? Well, and, and, you know, to back up just a minute, I, I use, our dogs were used more for, for bear. Um, and, and, you know, that's just it, it is what it was um now as my son has has grown uh more um you know he's 14 years old now roughly six foot tall he's just a beast in the mountains he's got into more wanting to, to do a lot more coon hunting mm-hmm. um so you know and i i started out so let's back up even farther i started out in, in, in beagles as as a young person and and i carried that all the way up into my 20s and then i kind of got out of hounds got back in got out got back in and then i set my feet uh firmly where they are today and to carry on this line of hounds um but as far as as what we have and what we're going to be pushing these hounds to basically these hounds are big ball mouth 90% of these hounds are ball mouth, cold nosed dogs. Um, And and keep in mind what I have here and what I'm going to keep true to what I have is what Kenneth um, wanted was I'm going to keep the line separated as far as the brags, um, the more of the um, Ken Fitcher's taking care of more of the Vaughn line Mm -hmm. um, as far as what you would what you would call the the true Vaughn blood of what we have. Um I'll be keeping the Braggs and and the um the blue dog blue line. But they're just athletic. Um I mean it I look at, at blue eleven and you all right, so he's he's six months old and you know a lot of people say, well, you know, if that pup's not doing this by six months, that the other we don't we don't I don't do that. I, I'm the kind of person that when that pup's ready, then I let him go. Now, he'll be in the woods from the time he's super tiny. But just like with Blue Dog Blue 11, he, 
we turned him loose two weeks ago and we didn't see him for over two hours. Now he didn't make the whole race with the dogs because it got into some rocks and what have you. But you know, they're, they're they have huge motors. Um, mm-hmm. and again, I'm not doing this as a selling point because that's not what I'm in this for, but you know, the dogs, they, they hold their own in the woods. That's for sure. You know? Yeah. Well, I think, I think, um, this early starting pup thing is, has not been around for a long time. You know, when I started hunting almost 40 years ago now, uh, people didn't expect six month old puppies to go out and be treeing game or catching game by themselves. And I was a coon hunter and, um, you know, there's arguments on, on for, for those kind of attributes that you hear that, you know, why feed something that takes till it's 18 months old to really, really click or start to do anything. I don't have that much time. And I think it's a, I think it is a direct reflection of our society. We want everything now. We want everything right at our fingertips, everything from, you know, our, our phones to, to fast food. And it's got to be right now. And, um, you know, my argument is always, you know, the baby steaks, for instance, with PK, for instance, with PKC, you know, you take, right. a, you take a pup that's not a year old yet, you enter him in a competition hunt. And, and then if you win it, you brag about how your early starters, you know, what an early starter you have. But if you look historically, I always ask the question, where are they now? You know, I've seen right. plenty of right. pups that have come on fire banging and just, I mean, fire breathing, get gone, get treed that never panned out in the long run. And I always felt like a houndsman can see potential in a pup. You know, you look at how they act. You look at what they're doing. You look at what can be, and it's my job to bring all that together for a solid finished house. I don't need an early starter. I want a solid finisher, you know, one that's in it for the long haul. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I mean, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say we haven't had it here. I mean, you might, you may have pups that at at four or five months old, they're just killing the world. And then they go through this, I don't know, it's just dumb stage, you know, and the next thing you know, they're chasing their tail again. And then you, you pin them up for a while and you say, okay, well, you know, we don't want to burn them up. And, and, and then you turn them back loose again and they're killing the world, you know? Um, yeah. I feel like that. And, and, and once again, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of people that know what I do for a living. There's a lot of people that don't, but I'm not home and I'm not hunting these dogs truly the way that they should be. I have a 14 year old son that's taking pups and dogs in the woods at night. You know, I'm yeah. gone through the week and and I work uh, out of town all week long. But when I hit the when I hit this property on Friday evening, you know, Friday Saturday night, uh, we're going to try to start doing some Saturday morning hunts. Uh, I was kind of intrigued by by you and Gary's uh, talk there uh, about that morning hunting, and uh, I feel like you know that's that's the way to do it this time of year, uh, honestly, because it seems like they're moving. Um, You're talking you know, coons. A earlier. You're talking coon hunting yeah, now. Yeah, I'm talking. Yep. 
Yeah, because right now, you know, we our our bear we we can't play with bear anymore. Right. So, uh, season's out here in Virginia. So, um, but you know, I agree with you a hundred percent. There's so much there's so much going on today that that has 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 moved the dogs into the competition world. Everybody wants the competition, competition, competition. Don't get me wrong. I I love competition, but I'm not that person that has the time to, I'm not going to go there and get beat. Let's put it that way. And if I don't, if I do not have the time to hunt a dog up correctly to put in competition, I'm not going to do it. Right. Uh, We, we have just time with, with pleasure hunting and uh and bear hunting with these hounds now can these hounds become competition dogs i'm very confident that they can in the right hands and i'm i'm going to pursue to put them in the right hands mm-hmm. um who, who knows a few years from now um we may be talking about this again with we may be hounds and, and, and we... play tribute to to kenneth's you know line of hounds right right well ken ken fisher i want to get your input too i want to know you know so so Jacob is working more on the brag side of Kenneth's lines, and I hear that you're working more on the Vaughn side of – describe for us the difference in the two hounds. But let's start off with what you're looking for to preserve. What is it about that line of hounds that you – tell us how you got it from Kenneth uh, Adkins and then and then why you wanted to preserve – his work and and continue his work well it's not uh it's not exactly all that is it's not exactly not exactly as simple as you just made it sound chris um ken never kept just two lines of dogs there wasn't just vaughn and bragg ken kept the adkins blue dog blue line which uh is very very well known but he also kept the adkins blue dog henry line which was a little bit less known but equally as good. And that's the line that I have uh, line bred on and kept here for, for over 30 years now. And um, Ken kept those two lines and he also kept us, he kept the, he kept the, uh, the brag blooded dogs and he also kept a separate Vaughn line and that all the, the Vaughn, the, the separate Vaughn line, that was, that was dogs that he, um, know bought from all sorts of different people uh albert vaughn included pete bassani all all these all these guys that had the real vaughn stock when albert died that's where those dogs came from but and and that's that's the stock that i have today but i also have the adkins blue dog henry line that's the that's the line that i have always um stayed with and there is a difference between the blue dog blue line and the henry line now just let me back up just one one little bit. There's there like I said, there is a difference between the sure. two lines, but the blue, Adkins Blue Dog Blue and Adkins Blue Dog Henry were half brothers. Their mothers were different, mm-hmm. but it's amazing. It's amazing how basically how much different they really were. With the with the Blue Dog Blue line, Ken bred a lot of brag blood into those dogs. Almost every other cross that he made in his generations coming up was either to a Vaughn female or a Bragg female in the Henry, in the Henry line, Ken stayed almost exclusive with heavy Vaughn blooded females, 
with with an exception of one line of a little bit of Smoky River dogs that are in there. And I and I own that female at, at one point in time also. And I've tried to ever since ever since I got started in this, um, you know, I've I've never proclaimed to be um, breeding Vaughn bred dogs. I have Vaughn blooded dogs, and that's and there's there's not too many of us left that have got it. There's there's not a whole lot of it out there, but I've preserved it. I haven't bred anything, uh, any other lines into it. There's been enough of it out there that I've been able to line breed and family breed right along with with Ken for all these years, and um, it's my goal to keep that line going and to keep the Adkins Blue Dog Henry line going, and I'm working on that as we speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I always favored the Henry line. They made, in my my opinion, me and Ken had, I wouldn't say heated arguments, but we, we had arguments about this several times that I always believed the uh, the Henry line were a harder tree, harder tree dog, and they were, they were uh, less... Uh, less likely to run off game where the blue dog blue line was they were a faster track dog good tree dog but they were also a little bit more trash a little bit more harder to break but that just (laughs) and that's just the way that it that's just the way that it that it was and you know me and him had that argument for well probably 30 years we had that same argument and he he knew i favored the henry line and that's the stuff that i've i've kept here in my kennel what what is your I mean, what is your main stud dog right now, Ken? What do you, what's some my main yep my main my main stud dog right now is my Sarge dog. Describe he, that describe that dog to our listeners. Describe his hunting style. You know, give us give us an idea of of what you got there and describe the dog. Sarge is roughly a seventy five to eighty pound. Uh, he, he's not, he's not a, a real dark, dark blue tick. He's, he's got a lot of white on him. He has got a big, heavy ball mouth on him on the trail and the tree. Um, he likes to drift a track, but he won't, he won't quit it. He won't quit a track once he starts it. And once, if he starts it, he's going to finish it, but he listens real, real good. And you can hear him if he, if he, if he locates you you can just you can go you can go go for coffee if you want to. He's going to be at the tree when you get there. Mm-hmm. Um, now I've been slowing him down these last couple of years because he's pushing. He's he's going to be nine years old, and but he is a he might be I, I I hesitate in saying this, but he might be the best reproducing male that I've ever owned. Mm-hmm. Um, he has thrown some tremendous dogs so far some big houndy dogs these aren't these little uh 45 50 pound dogs with these little noses you can stick in a coke bottle with with ears that are hanging off the very tops of their heads that don't look right these these are real true old-timey looking hounds that he's thrown and he's consistent in every litter that he's that he's thrown um he he uh he he is out of uh, my buddy Jim Steiger's old chip dog and a female that I that I used to own, and uh, he's a better sire than his father, and I believe he's he's siring bigger dogs than what he than what he is and much houndier looking dogs. I mean, don't get me wrong, Sarge is a good looking dog, and Jacob will attest to that. But mm-hmm. he's siring dogs that look like they did you know, in the, in the, in the sixties and the, in the seventies. I mean, we're talking some real old timey looking dogs that, 
I, I'm impressed with, with what I'm seeing so far. Nice. Um, so is he a pretty accurate dog and what are you primarily hunting him on? If he's a coon I dog. hunt him just on, I hunt him just on coon up, okay. up here. That's pretty much all that we do. Um, he's very, he's been a very accurate dog. I've, he's never had a, he's never had a trash. He's never had a, uh, uh, shot collar on him. Never had to put one on him. Never, never, never ran anything. And, uh, but I will say that that's, that's common with, with a lot of these, uh, with these, with these Vaughn's, with these, with, with his Vaughn blooded dogs, my dogs lean a little bit heavier towards the Vaughn, the Vaughn's max stuff than the Vaughn's buck stuff. And a lot of these guys, um, I can drop a few names if you want, like Steve Perryman and, 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 uh, those guys down that way, they know that those, those dogs that are a little bit heavier in the Vaughn's Mac aren't as trashy as the dogs that are, he- that are heavier in the Vaughn's buck. That's just the way that it was. Albert said the same thing years and years and years ago. And my dogs have always leaned a little bit heavier on the Vaughn's Mac, and I don't really have much of a trash problem with these dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, I mean that's that's just the truth of the matter. So you threw out Albert Vaughn's name there, and mm-hmm. give people a brief introduction to Albert Vaughn, and talk about who he was, where he lived, and his relationship with Ken Adkins. Well, uh, Albert Vaughn lived in Paragold, Arkansas. He died May 11th, 1984. And uh, he had had a, uh, if I'm not mistaken, a 48-year breeding career. With He started out with dogs from the Jocasey Valley Dogs, Dr. Frank Finley's and Marvin Ashwander's dogs and several others. And he picked and chose and he, he, he got his line, he got his line started and they were world-renowned dogs they've been used on every kind of big game you can think of practically but primarily on on coon on coon and uh they all made top dogs um when albert died in may of 1984 jess rogers and charles Lindsay bought out the kennel and so some of those dogs went to north carolina some of those dogs stayed right in arkansas um jess rogers kept the max side of the dogs and charles Lindsay kept the buck side of the dogs and I have dogs from both of those gentlemen that are in my, that are behind my dogs now. Um, Ken, Ken got several dogs over the years um, through Albert. He talked to him many times. Uh, Many letters were written. I have them. I have them here at my house. Um, Ken always favored Albert's dogs. They, they were fantastic looking animals. Um, and they were just bred right, put up right. They sounded good, um, and they were reproducers. And that's, I, I think that's one thing that, that attracted Ken to uh, getting into some of Albert's dogs. I mean, the first dog, the first male blue tick that Ken owned was a grandson of, of Juan's Baller, which is, I mean, no doubt one of the one of Albert's better reproducing males that he that he ever had. I mean, he. He he's 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 very very well known. Long give, Baller was. Give us and, a time frame of when that when Baller would have been alive. Vaughn's Baller would have been alive. Okay, now without actually having that right in front of me, it would have been uh, late '60s, early '70s. Okay. Um, Ken got Blue Dog Blue, in it was uh, 1977 or 1978. Okay. 
he got he got blue dog blue from Roy Campbell out in Oklahoma. And Roy Campbell had a male off of Vaughn's baller. His name was Campbell's Blue Baller. And he was a he was a reproducing fool. Robert and Tommy Harper still have some of that dogs some of those dogs in their pens out in Oklahoma that came that derived from Campbell's Blue Baller. So it wasn't just Ken Atkins that latched onto onto that. There's many others, but that Campbell's Blue Baller was was a reproducing dog. And mm-hmm. and how um, many how many years had Albert been breeding blue ticks? Because if you trace blue tick history back, I mean, when was the first blue tick actually registered as a blue tick with UKC? It was in the mid 1940s. I it's either 46 or 48 is what's sticking out in my head when they right. transferred from um, English to blue tick, and uh, that's Albert. Like I said, Albert died in 1984, and he bred he bred blue ticks for 48 years up until then. Yeah, so and, he did it. He did it most of his life. And the you know other historical legendary houndsmen have latched on and took hounds that were Vaughn bred. You know, you look at the, mm-hmm. um, you look at in the Southwest and, and California. So they went West as well. You know, the Lee brothers oh, yeah. and, and I yep. mean, they were, they were grabbing up some of these, this Vaughn blood and, and finding it useful for everything from dry ground to bear hunting to, and then it also made its way back East. You know, Arkansas isn't oh, exactly an east. It's west of the Mississippi. But, it, you know, a guy like Kenneth Atkins saw it and grabbed onto it and, and bred off of those traits. Yes, he did. And, I mean, I'm also going to put John J. Henneman's name out there because of, of the Menacing Valley dogs. He, he got his dog straight from Albert, and he's had tremendous success uh, over the years with Big Game and, and, and Coon. And when, when Del Cameron sold out his Sugar Creek dogs um, years and years and years ago, he, Del Cameron went straight to John Henneman and he went to Albert Vaughn and he bought his dogs from them. And that is where, that is where the Cameron dogs derived from, was from essentially from straight Vaughn blooded dogs. That's, that's what they originally came from. Man, you are crossing into some sacred ground now. (laughs) I know I am. I know I am, but you know what? My, my mouth, my mouth doesn't have a filter and I, and I, I don't hold back any punches. Yes. And that, and that's a well-known, that's a, you know, more well-known than what most people are willing to admit. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because that, that original Vaughn dog, those dogs were purchased by Dell in the early seventies or late mid to late sixties. I mean, in that time frame, correct? It was, it was in the seventies. It was okay. in the seventies. I have the, I have the full cry issues throughout. I have all of them for the 1970s and I have the issue that shows where Dell Cameron makes the big announcement that he sold all of the sugar Creek dogs. They're, they were they were gone and I do I, I forgive me the, the gentleman who bought him I can't remember his name right off the top of my head but and then all of a sudden he switched right over and he started dealing with John J Henneman out, out out on eastern part of New York and he started dealing with Albert Vaughn and that is where that's where the Cameron dogs came from I, and I know I'll probably right. catch backlash for, nah. for saying all that but it's it's a hundred percent true this is a <laughs> factual show we can watch we can watch Disney for fantasy. Uh, <laughs> the Sebastian bread as well. I mean, yeah. the, the Sebastian. Well, I mean, you, you can yep. you can go back to to this to the to 
of that same bloodline. And, you know, people may not want to agree with it or, or believe it, but it is the true stuff. And, and, and there's, there's books and facts to show this. Well, yeah, they were all registered hounds. So, I mean, if, if somebody can, can re- has a copy of that pedigree, it's easy to see. Right. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I could I could show anybody that wanted to. I've got a museum here. I oh, know. So, <laughs> Jacob, I'm not trying to keep you out of this. Ken's just intriguing me yeah, right now. And you're the you're the I'm one like, that volunteered to bring him on the show anyway. So, um. well, and, and the reason the reason for that is because of you know Kenneth was a walking pedigree. I mean, I could ask him questions about. You know the the hammerbred dogs, the 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 Smoky River dogs, the the I mean you you just name it. You could ask Kenneth and and you know his later time. It, it may take him a few minutes, but he's going to get back to you. With, and it, he could have the book open, and he would almost recite it word for word of what a pedigree said without. And I know it was not in front of him. Mm-hmm. And um. Ken's basically the same way. I mean, he's he knows he knows what he knows. That's for sure. You know, um, you take that with a grain of salt. But he knows about these. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I and I like I said, Kenneth knew. Kenneth knew that that my promise was was the real thing that I promised to him, but he also knew that without Ken Fitcher, there might've been a slight chance that I would mess this up. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for, for, for what I have in a friendship and, and for the hounds that I'm looking out the window at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey Chris, can I interject something in there? You bet. No, I just wanted to touch on what, what Jacob said because he's he said it a couple of times now. Now, I, and I've told this to Jacob, but I'll I'll tell it to you and to all your listeners that, um, you know, Ken Ken was very very sick, and you know we, I've always been very very close to him and his family, but he he told me specifically that he that I needed to be there for Jacob, that mm-hmm. I needed to be there to answer the questions to help him do this. Um, he told me, he said, Ken, you, you don't, you don't need the help. You know what you're doing. You, you got this under control. He said, but be there for Jacob. He said, I want you to always, always help him. Just stand by him, help him, help him get this going. And you just, you just ride this out with him. And that's, that's what I'm doing. And it's, and, uh, I've got a heck of a good friend out of the whole deal. That's so awesome. I'm, I'm real, I'm real, real pleased by all that. Uh, there's a bunch of questions I've got for both of you. Um, but Ken, I want, I want to touch on, you've said it a couple of times and, and you've alluded to it a couple of times that you've got letters and pedigrees and, and different things like that. So describe mm-hmm. for our listeners what you have how, and how you got it. Well, other than, other than the stuff that I've, that I've had over the years, cause you know, I've, I've dealt with a lot of these, uh, guys that they, they kept the Vaughn, the Vaughn stock over the years, you know, from your Dana, I, I mean, I'll, I'll throw some names out there that probably some of these guys will never hear of, but I, you know, the guys that I, you know, dealt with Dana Robinson, Dartes Brumley, Steve Lee, Pat Rothwell, Jim Stanley, um, you know, guys like that are, 
you know, that, that was, that was letters and pictures and stuff that I had in my, in my possession. Oh, and excuse me. Uh, I have letters and pictures from a great blue, uh, blue tick historian, Albert Vaughn's neighbor at Mr. Al Linden. And I, and those I absolutely treasure to this day because Al Linden was an absolutely fantastic human being. Him and I spoke numerous times right up until his death, but it, how I, how I came across all Ken's stuff, um, as everyone knows, Ken, Ken died in September of 2020. And I'm, you know, I, just, just the materials that I have here in the home, the pictures, everything, uh, his wonderful wife, Beverly, God bless her soul. She's a absolutely wonderful woman. And those, and the four daughters and the four grandkids, she, uh, the, the, I, I was down for the funeral. I was down for a few days. She, uh, the day before the funeral, we, she made up her mind that we were going to start going through kind of stuff. Okay, Beverly, I'm, I'm here. I'm here to help you. Mm-hmm. Well, I wound up leaving with every single pedigree that was in his office, every picture, every blue book annual from 1973 on every binder that he had, every trophy that he had, uh, won and, the one, you know, those, those are all in, incredible pieces of history. And then she really shocked me when she said, I'd, I'd like you to have his, I'd like you to have his dog box. And that dog box is, it goes everywhere with me. It's in my truck right now. Mm-hmm. So, but she wanted me to have it. She knew that what Ken meant to me and what I meant to him. And, uh, the amount of stuff that I have is just absolutely incredible. I mean, Chris, I can't begin to tell you. I told this to Jacob. I've only went through probably a third of what I have, but there's so much blue 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 tick history here with all the letters from Kelly Bragg, Albert Vaughn, Burton Sampson, you, Dave Dean. You know all these all these. I got I got stuff here from Warren Hausler. I've got yeah. you name it. I've got it. And I mean, I've got literally thousands upon thousands of dog pedigrees. Ken had probably thousands of hours in typing some of these other ones up that he would um, give to people when they bought pups or people requested a pedigree through the mail. He could send them out a six generation pedigree on, on a, on a certain dog. I've got everything here and it's, it, it is just incredible. The amount of stuff in blue, blue tick history that I have here. It is, it is absolutely, it's, it's overwhelming to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Do you ever stop and think for just a minute? I mean, I just kind of had this thought, but how much we're losing in our current society when so many things are taken care of by text message and by messenger and emails. You know, when you start talking about the actual letters between these houndsmen, you've got something tangible and physical you can put in your hands and look at and and study and, and have a clear understanding. You know, if I died today... Nobody's going to go through my phone to find out who I was texting or who I was talking to about this dog or that dog. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty it's pretty uh, eye opening, really, and and that's part oh, of that's part of the reason why we wanted. I've always wanted to produce a podcast like this because hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, these we're capturing history of who we are, and along the way, it'll it'll be archived forever. I hope. Oh, it absolutely, it absolutely will. And, you know, I, there's, there's just so much history here that 
if if a newcomer was interested in Vaughn blood, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I'm the one that they should come to because they could just sit here for weeks on end and not even get through half of this stuff. And it sounds like I, you could I, use I mean, some help going through it. Well, Jacob's <laughs> offered Jacob's offered to come up, but I don't know if he's got that much vacation time to help me go through everything. <laughs> There's there's an, there's a lot of stuff here, but some of this stuff is just absolutely incredible. I mean, I mean, you know, these things will stay with me un, until I until I die. And you know, you know, the things that his wife gave me. I mean, I I have his old wheat light and everything. Yeah. And you know, those are those are things that I absolutely just just cherish. I mean, he was one of the best friends I ever had. Um, you know, my dad died when I was six years old. And I, so I, me and my brother didn't have a father growing up and my, my two, two of my uncles did the best that they could. One of them was a coon hunter. One of them was a rabbit hunter and it got me interested in it. And then it just took off. It took off from there when I, when I read the, where the red fern grows. And then I got my hands on a full, <laughs> full cry issue and it's been a sickness ever since, but you know what? I, I just want to, I just want to say one, one thing. I know I'm off a little off topic here, but the one person, another person that really, made sure I was where I am today with these dogs was my mother. She helped raise so many of these pups that I had throughout the years. She would go to the airports and pick dogs up that we bought from across the country, send pups out, nurse pups. It, it, without her and her support, it, I, I don't think I ever could have made it. I mean, it, she, she was wonderful. And I'm, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm thankful that she, that she allowed me to, grow up doing this as a, as a teenager, you know, being able, being able to do this was just absolutely amazing. It really was. Yeah. I can, I can say the same thing about my mom. Um, you know, dad was always kind of, ah, oh, you're going to be out coon hunting all night and then you're not going to be able to work tomorrow. You know, and mom looked at it as <laughs> mom looked at it and we didn't get that passed by the way. But, um, mom always looked at it as, Hey, let him do this. Because honestly, I mean, we've all said it, but if you if you let your kids hunt, then you won't have to hunt for your kids. My mom really yep. never had a whole lot of worries about what I was doing, and I come from a family of of um, six kids, and um, she had some sleepless nights, but it wasn't because she thought I was out getting into trouble or doing things I shouldn't be doing. And mm -hmm. so she always supported me as well. I've, I dug through some old pictures yesterday and I'm pretty sure she took every one, you know, when I was a kid <laughs> and uh, yep. of me and of me and hounds and, and different things. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's when, when you can have that kind of support to help shape your value system, then, uh, we've got to be indebted to mom. That's for sure. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Jacob, talk to us about that brag line of dogs. And uh, one thing I want to I want to get to is you're always posting pictures of split nose pups. These these pups with these <laughs> these split noses on your Facebook page. Tell yeah. us about the voodoo around that. Well, and it, it's a <laughs> it's a and I say I say I say that lightly, Jacob. I'm just giving you a hard time. Yeah. Obviously, you you've got something you're working towards there, and and uh, I want to hear it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's, you know, um, I have real thick skin. That's for sure. The line of work that I'm in, I have to have. Um, but 
you know, there's there's a lot of people that <clears throat> that feel like these dogs should have been pulled out years ago. I'll just go ahead and say that. Um, and there was a lot of people that called these dogs, you know, um, Albert Vaughn as well. Um, you know, uh, Ken has a little story about that as well that he knows facts facts on. But anyway, um, it's a trait that I guess, honestly, from, from what I've read and been told, and because it wasn't firsthand um, experience, but a lot of these dogs back in the, um, the older lines of hounds had these split nose. And some people, you know, some people liked them. Um, did it, did it give them a colder nose? I don't know. Uh, a lot of people say yes. A lot of people say no, there's no difference, um, or what have you. Um, and like I said, a lot of people called them, but Kelly kept it in his West Virginia line. Um, and you know, a lot of, he, he had several lines as well. Uh, Ken and I were talking earlier today. You know, he had the, the Dodger line, the Wheeler line, the West Virginia line. Um, and he kept it mostly in the West Virginia line. Now, it's not something like we can, you know, crack it open eggs and 90% of them is one yolk. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard from what I've already seen, from what Kenneth told me. Um, he said, look, you know, you're going to have better success with, a, of course, a split-nose male and a split-nose female. Now, fortunately, um, what I acquired from Kenneth was uh, two split-nose males and a split-nose female that we were talking about a little bit there before the podcast. Um, I made I made several or I made two different crosses this last spring, um, and I ended up with um, a beautiful little split nose female that I named Kimber, and she favors her father's head, her mother's her mother's color, and and she's just a to me she's a picture in a book. Some people might see it and say, man, you should have called that dog. But myself, I'm not. Um, then I ended up with um, I ended up with two other split nose out of another female. Um, out of the Jubal dog that I have, which um, he's heavy Bragg's blood. And, 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 you know, Roy and Kenneth... Um, had a lot of a, a lot of these split nose through the years um but then it, it you know it started kind of going away for a while mm-hmm. um may, may have one here may have one there um you know and then it, it may be a year that none came out um so it's not like making hotcakes like i said um what i had done when i brought these dogs home is i had pack these females full of tons of protein and uh i kind of feel like that may have helped me a little bit i guess we'll see this coming spring um yeah. on what what comes out of it um but it's a it's a heart-shaped nose with a split down the center and uh you know it just kind of looks like a double barrel shotgun when you look down <laughs> instead of having the rounder yeah. <laughs> top the um you know what i and, and some people Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. You finish up. No, oh. go ahead. I was just going to say, no. you know, what I what I have found is that when I like the way something looks, 
I'm a lot more patient with it and, and I give it more opportunity. And if it's pleasing to me and not to say that, you know, you get roped in with every shiny, shiny object and, and, uh, you know, flashy, flashy thing, but, but that is just human nature. You know, I would say that none of us set out to marry an ugly woman, you know, and, you know, it's just, a, it's just the way we're wired. And, and, um, so whether it's something that is actually physical enhancement, you know, it's something that trips your trigger. And obviously it did with Kenneth and he saw some things out of that dog and that those types of dogs. And that's, that's why they weren't called. Right. And, and, you know, like we had talked before, you know, with the blue line, with the blue dog blue line, you know, every so many years there would be a Bragg's female, um, added into, um, the blue dog blue line. Um, and you know, one thing about it, what Kenan went at it, he went at it with both feet. That's for sure. You can just look at the pedigrees of, of, of these dogs and, um, you know, Ken was talking about Roy um, earlier. Uh, Roy and I talked back um, a few months ago, or what have you. And Roy, even today, I, I'm not for sure how what what age Roy is, but I believe <laughs> Roy could probably out hunt all three of us now in the mountains. I mean, yep. this man is he's 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 not a very big man. He's a small fellow, but buddy, he is a firecracker. Mm. That's for sure. And, <laughs> yeah. and you know, he helped, with, you know, he helped, you know, uh, him, him, he and Kenneth, um, you know, they, they, they had those, that line of dogs and they kept that line of dogs and, um, and he just hunted the hair off of them, you know? So, mm-hmm. uh, and what we're planning to do, like, you know, <clears throat> Kenneth wasn't big for advertising. Um, and, and probably a lot of people's going to listen to this podcast and say, wow, you know, that, that was a, that's a life achievement that that he had, he had made with collecting that line of dog and preserving that line of dog, and um, you know it just I don't know. Sometimes it just I'm, I'm speechless sometimes over it. You know, I sit down and I look at some of these pedigrees and I'm just like, how could someone just stick to that? You know. And, and not be, you know, just like with, with Ken Fitcher right there, that's on the other line of this phone. How did he spend all those years without not getting tempted by adding something in there that, that was the big new show, you know what I'm right, saying? Right, right. Um, it, it's, you know, it's, my hat's off to these gentlemen for doing that, you know, because I'm, I'm reaping the benefits of it, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting here and these hounds, yes, I'm carrying this line on, and this is 100% for Kenneth, Um but, you know, just, just sometimes it, I, I'm speechless over it, you know. Well, that's an honorable thing. You know, obviously, Kenneth Atkins made a, a deep impact on your life. Not only did the type of hound suit you, but the man did. And it was yeah. something worthy of you carrying on. And, and that speaks a lot for, for him as a person. Uh, to to be able to have that kind of influence over uh, other people and have that that belief system set up there. So um, let me ask you this. What 
do you feel? Let's talk about Ken Adkins, the breeder, because I've heard you talk about adding Bragg in here, uh, you know, some of Kelly Bragg's stuff in to his dogs. But what, in your opinion, made him successful as a breeder? What is is there any one thing or just talk about his general practices as a breeder? Well, one one thing about Kenneth, he was a God-fearing man like a lot of us sitting here on this, us three sitting here right here today. Um, and, and, you know, Kenneth kept, like, like Kenneth said, different lines of hounds. Yes, he kept the Braggs. He kept the, the more the, the Vaughn, uh, the Henry line, um, and the Blue Dog Blue. But, from what I've went back and looked, um, basically, now this is my opinion, um, basically the, the Blue Dog Blue was a product of what I feel like was of two different, you know, of, of, of the Vaughn and, and the Braggs. Because if you look in there, every so many years he would add um, a, a, a real solid Vaughn-bred female to it. Um, and then every few years he he would add a a real solid Bragg's female to it. What was he um, trying what was and, he trying to get with that? Tell that's what I'm looking for. What was his reasoning for do, doing that? Because you'll hear some breeders say that you know, uh, my line is good. I I don't need to I don't need to make an outcross um Tell me, tell me why he's he's going to a Bragg dog or a Vaughn bred dog at that point. Well, I mean, you know, several theories, um, or you know, everyone like I said has opinions. I feel like that that he took two good products and he was putting two good products together, and he truly ended up with another good product. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's it. In the sense, yes, it was it was born bred dogs or or born blooded dogs, or in the sense it was um, Bragg's blooded dogs, but they still was some of the same there because if a lot of people know, a lot of the Bragg's blood come from the born blooded dogs. Okay, um, that's what I was. I didn't know. do a very good job of asking that question. You know, even though <laughs> yeah, you, even though we're say, saying that Bragg bred, bred dogs were added or a Vaughn, Kenneth's whole line was based on that anyway, right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, Ken, you got anything to add? Do you think I've got Ken? I've got I've got more things to add than you got time to air it, but <laughs> I will keep it short. <laughs> Go for it. We don't have a time limit. Okay, good. Um, Ken told me numerous times over the years, over 30 years, that some of his best crosses he ever made, and he made hundreds if not thousands, um, were a Vaughn-blooded male and a Bragg-blooded female. He said those dogs were the more well-rounded, more they, got, they, had, they had more stuff between their ears than other typical dogs did. They seemed to have more grit, more drive to them, better just better all-around dog. He said his higher percentage of good quality dogs and uh, top dogs came from Vaughn and Bragg blooded crosses. And 
once he once he started that he and once he realized that he kept doing it and he kept doing it right through that blue dog blue line mm-hmm. right up until right up until he got to blue dog nine um it was it was kind of back and forth with a brag female and a vaughn female like every other time basically and you know that's just that's just trial and error ken ken made experimental crosses every once in a while just to see how things were going to work and either they worked or they didn't work and if they didn't work he obviously didn't do it again but the ones that really really worked you know that he had a hunch on they really they really took off but i mean he had a good about him he knew he he knew ahead of time basically if if things were going to work or they weren't going to work and he knew what what two dogs to breed and he was he had a good knack for that. that and that was that was a quality that a lot of these guys today do not have they just they just throw two dogs in the pen because they're night champions or grand night champions or old so and so from around the pond is a you know trees more coon than he does possum. Well, that's not the way Ken Adkins bred dogs. Mm-hmm. And um, so are you, you know, and that's, do you and that's, con- do you consider breeding more of an art or a science? How do, well? Let's ask how Kenneth looked at it. What do you think? Well, he. He he got a lot of good early advice from all the big name breeders, and a lot of and he he picked their brains for a long time. And I'm talking big name breeders like Kelly Bragg, Albert Vaughn, Dave Dean, Warren Hausler. Those those particular guys, those guys that had their had a good hold on everything, had a good idea of what they were doing. And Ken took all that knowledge and that and that those ideas, and he 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 ran with it. And it, it's it's not a it's not just a science or an art form. It's a combination of both. If right. you know, if you if you know the history, which Ken which Ken did, if you know the history of the dogs behind the ones you're breeding, you can just about expect what you're going to get. And Ken had a good knack for doing that. He could, you know, I I, has, I have messages on my phone su- with suggestions from him still to this day that I, that I've kept yeah. that that he thought. I should make, or he thought that Jacob should make, or had some ideas about this and that. And there's, there's reasons behind those because he, he, he knew things and he saw things that um, a lot of other people might not have picked up on. Mm-hmm. It's not just throwing a male and a female in a pen and, and keeping your fingers crossed. You know, it, it, there's a lot more that goes into it. You, you have to know what's behind those dogs to, to be able to produce a good quality dog. And Ken Adkins had that ability. And it was because he did his research, he did his homework, he took advice from accomplished breeders, um, all those things. He he well, was able to recognize faults and uh, absolutely, you know, good I, traits. Absolutely, I, I'm absolutely. I'm sitting here right now with all of his research. Mm-hmm. I know the man put in the put in the time and the hours. He knew what he was, you know. He he did his homework before he jumped right into it. Is is what I'm is what I'm saying. Right. He just didn't. He just didn't. Ha- he just didn't get his hands on a male and a female and breed them. He had the right ones. He saw what they were going to do. He saw that they made coon dogs and good coon dogs, and he's and he bred them. And he knew the history behind those two dogs, where they came from, who he got them from, the parents, the grandparents, and the great grandparents. He had he had a knack for doing that. And like mm-hmm. you know, I'll touch on something that, that Jacob said earlier. Um, where where he called kind of a walking encyclopedia because he 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 was he knew these dogs backwards and forwards and he taught me that so i know these dogs backwards and forwards Mm -hmm. and you know he that that was that was how he that was how he bred those dogs and i mean with getting back to the brag dogs um as far as those split noses go 
you know, I don't mind a split nose. I like it. I've got a female here that's got a split nose. The only, the only kind of split nose I don't care for is when the one where you can stick your thumb right in between. Now that's that's a <laughs> bit extreme to me. Now I've yeah. actually I've seen that a couple of times. I've seen that. But Kelly Bragg always believed that a split nose dog had gave him a little something extra. Whether that was true or not, they could smell in two no different idea. directions. I, yeah, I have no <laughs> earthly idea. I have no idea, but that was that was his feeling on it, and that and that's that came specifically from Kelly to Ken, and Ken told me that. Yeah, and you know, and you know, when 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 Kelly died, a guy in Maryland bought up all of his dogs, and within I hate to say it, but within a couple of years, they were just they were just kind of scattered about. So then. After after a few years, Ken was able to buy up a lot of those Bragg dogs. He was mm-hmm. able to round up the original dogs that were left when Kelly Bragg died. And yeah. that's where these Bragg dogs came from. Let me I've I've heard this is a topic I don't think we can we can complete this podcast without talking about. <laughs> Why are we have do you guys are you guys with me still? Hello. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm, get, I'm getting a, uh, a, I'll edit this part out, I guess. But uh, I don't think we can we can complete this podcast, this episode, because I think we can make several podcasts based on this. But uh, one one important thing that I've heard here is Ken's uh, Kenneth's uh, desire to mentor two people to carry on his line. And not only that, but you, your desire, Ken, to help Jacob and Jacob's desire to um, be humble and take direction from somebody who is more experienced and has more knowledge of him. And I, I see this a lot in all types of dog breeding in the United States, just indiscriminate dog breeding. But how important was it for you, Ken, to be a, to have Kenneth Atkins as your mentor. More important than I can possibly put in into words. Um, the lack of not having him in my life now is it, it, it's a void that I haven't been, I haven't filled, and I don't know that I ever will. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still I still go almost daily to pick up my phone to text him about something. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's, it's, it's been very difficult not having him around because you got used to having him. I mean, you got used to talking to him every single day. Um, him taking me under his wing the way he did when I was a teenager was, it was an experience that I can't, I can't, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can put it into words because he didn't, he didn't lead me astray. He didn't lead me in a bad direction. He showed me what he had done how he had done it and he made sure that I understood it. He didn't just say it to me and 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 walk away from the subject. He 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 instilled into me the right and the wrong way to do things with when it comes to these dogs, what pedigrees to stay away from, what dogs, what people to stay away from. He he's had experience he had he had those kinds of experiences and he didn't want me to have to go down the same tough roads that he went down at, at certain times. Right. And you know, he wanted me to learn from his mistakes and having him having him as a as a mentor and as a friend and breeding dogs with him for so many years was just was just absolutely incredible it really really was um 
Well, obviously, Ken saw Kenneth saw something in you, in in for him to put that much time and effort into you. And we've talked about it on the podcast before. Uh, what advice would you give to newer houndsmen or houndsmen in general that um, just for them to be able to, to reap the benefits of knowledge like this, to truly take that in-depth journey with a true houndsman, what do they need to do in order to be able to enjoy that and, and reap the rewards of that? Well, for someone who's new to it and wants to get into it and is very interested in it, first thing I would tell you is don't think you know anything at all because you know nothing. You, you've, you've got to do your research. You've got to get into it. You've got to find out who you're dealing with, who, you know, the history of this particular breeder, the history of his dogs. And then if you, if you find some dogs that you like, like the looks of, like the sounds of, like how they hunt, and so on and get to know that breeder get get to know that person find out what kind of person they actually are and soak up if if they're a good they're a good person if they're willing to take you under their wing and and want and and you 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 know you have a good relationship with them soak in all the uh, all the knowledge you can get your hands on soak it all in and another thing that i would tell anybody that's just getting into blue ticks is get your hands on every single bbcha or bboa blue book you can get your hands on and read the read about the dogs from the 70s and the 80s that's the foundation of most of these dogs that are out here today mm-hmm. so i i can only assume that what i heard you say right there ken was kenneth was a good person first he was a good man first and if he hadn't been, you know, you talked about getting to know the breeder, then you wouldn't have been drawn to anything that he had at that point. Um, and then obviously, I guess what I'm looking for here is we've tried to talk about humility in this podcast. And if Mm -hmm. I call a guy and I want to know about his dogs and then I spend an hour long conversation, I, I talk to him for an hour and I spend 40 minutes of it talking about me. I'm probably not learning too much at that mm-hmm. point. And that's yep. that's one of the things that we try to talk about. If you're we've got to recognize what people have to offer us if we just simply dedicate ourselves to learning and listening to what people have to say. Jacob, you got something you want to add? I heard you try to break in there. No, I, I was just agreeing with every you know a okay. lot of stuff you guys were saying, and that that you know that that's my thing with, you know, I'm the type of person that that I, and and falling back into my line of work, I had to know the answer to the question. Mm-hmm. It, it's just my line of work. Um, I had to know every answer to the question that had to be asked to me that day. Um, and and what I what I would stress to, to young people that that wanting to get into this is is listen that's for sure listen but in the same point a lot of these people that will that will take the time to mentor they need to listen also to you know it may be something that's 
Well, it may come out of my mouth to Ken. Hey, you know, what about this? What about that? Ken may not agree with it, but I do know for a fact he will sit there and listen to what I have to say before, you know, the advice is given. Um, and there's just, there's, there's a lot of people in this world and you see it on social media. Um, if it's the wrong color dog or if it's the dog that, that, that only made night champion or, you know, but this and that, it, it didn't make grand night, you know, some people just, they turn their nose up for that. And, um, I feel like that in this day and time, there's, that's, that's how we've got where we are today. Um, there's a lot of people not listening, you know? <laughs> yeah. It just, something just struck, just struck me funny there, Jake, Jacob. Um, uh-huh. You know, one of the most common things I hear about the modern hounds is they have lost their ability to run a track. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and you know, the tracking ability in our hounds. We've bred hounds to be, in the coonhound world, we have bred hounds to be quick locating, quick training type dogs. And a lot of the older guys will tell you that we've lost the tracking ability in our hounds. But the ironic thing is the next dog that comes out that starts winning big, everybody flocks right to him to breed to him, knowing that that's the type of dog that, that could be, they could be breeding to, but they don't ask the questions. They don't hunt with the dog. They don't do their research. And so we just keep compounding on the problems that, that so many people are, are complaining about. Whereas, you know, maybe it's would be good to back up and make that cross into one of Ken Adkins dogs or one of, you know, a Smoky River dog. So I, it, that's just something that, that you said that kind of sparked that thought in my mind. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had several, you know, and, and like I said, Kenneth wasn't a big advertiser. He he sold close to home. Now, there was there was a lot of dogs that, that actually went out west. Uh, back just a few months ago, a guy sent me a picture of a of a of a dog on the on a tree with a cat in the tree, and I just so happened to have the female here that that came out of that. You know that that was a mother to that dog. Yeah, and um, you know, and he and I we talked for a few hours, but. <clears throat> Since I have been posting some pictures and this and that, I couldn't tell you how many people that that has said, you know, I'm, I won't mention any names, but there, there's been people that said, hey, you know, I kind of would like maybe to try to breathe to that dog. You know, what's his nose like, this and that and the other. And you, you hear a lot of that, what's his nose like, what's his <laughs> nose like. It's and, split. Um, you know, because, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> split, but, uh, but, you know, there's uh, – there's a lot of people that have realized to to keep the blue ticks. They felt like to keep the blue ticks up in the competition world, they had to breed so much, and they've lost a lot of nose. I mean, some have, some haven't. But I know a majority that has contacted me was was people that felt like they had lost their nose, the the nose and their hounds, right. and. Um, to say what i have here is a better nose but it is more the older foundation blooded of hounds well you know it part of part of that jacob and and i'm not bashing 
competition hunting. I've got a Grand Night champion in my kennel, and I don't think anybody yep. here is. So we don't want this to be misunderstood that that a dog that's winning isn't isn't a nice dog. But uh, we've also they breed racehorses for the Kentucky Derby in a specific way to be able to be successful in that animal competition. And that is what has happened with a lot, you know, some of our, our hound hound strains as well. And that's fine. I like talking to guys like you and, and Ken, because there's still a resource out there to bring some of that back. The problem, the problem that I would warn people of is don't think you're going to take that hot nosed all time winning dog down there to, to either one of you and get, make one cross and think that all your problems are going to be solved. Would you, Absolutely. what do you think, Ken? No, it, it's, it, it takes, it takes more than one cross to to fix a problem like that, you mm-hmm. know. And it takes it takes several it takes several uh, years of breeding to breed out a hot nose, um, you know, on a, on a situation on a situation like that. I don't have that problem. I've never I don't have any hot nose dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I'm, I just want to say it again. I I want to put it out there. I'm not bashing any competition dogs. I know some competition guys. I know a lot of these guys. God bless them. More power to them. It's just not my not my type of dogs. I prefer the cold nose, the ball mouth, uh, the dogs that I can actually hunt with, and that you know I don't turn loose and they're gone. It, you know, you know it, it takes them five five miles to strike a cone. Um, it takes it takes it definitely takes more than one breeding to to fix a nose or a mouth problem um, or a, or a, a dog's training ability. You've you've got to. To fix a problem like that, you've you've got to commit yourself to fixing the problem. If you if you like what you've got, but you there's one issue, it's going to take a couple of breedings, mm-hmm. a couple of years to fix that particular problem. One dog is not going to solve your problem. Right. You gotta you you've got to figure out what your problem is and figure out where it came from and get away from that and breed something something into it to fix that problem. Well, let me ask you a question here. So when Ken Adkins would make a cross, how many generations ahead do you think he was looking at? He And and tell me about how important it was for goal setting for him when he made a cross. I always ask you these double questions. Oh, that's okay. Um, <laughs> that's okay. In, in my own, in my own opinion, every, every cross that he made that he had plans of keeping, uh, pups from or, or adding another generation onto. He was always looking uh probably five to ten years down the road with that with that one particular cross. Where am I gonna be at when that dog is three years old and I'm ready to breed it? Mm-hmm. What what will I have around to be able to breed that dog too? So he would make one cross for that and another cross to be able to breed that dog too. He he always had a plan. He never he never went into anything without uh, without having a plan, it wasn't no, it wasn't breeding dogs willy nilly, or anything like that. It was, it, he had a purpose. He ha- absolutely had a purpose in 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 what he was doing, and he was always he was always breeding for a better dog. It, it wasn't just to breed a dog to here and there. It was always trying to make the breed better. Um, if he could if he could improve on their nose or their mouth or their color or their height or something, he was he was trying he was trying to do that every single time. But he always had a plan every 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 important litter like that that he made every cross that he made that was that that had some real good value and some strong characteristics in it 
so he wasn't breeding for the here and now. He wasn't like, man, I need a pup to start this this fall, so I'm just going to throw these two dogs together. And whatever I don't have, no. then I can sell them, and I can have some Christmas money or some gas money or whatever. You know, there was, no, a, there he was always, a clear plan. No. Yeah, he al- always had a plan. He was if, – if, if he was – if he was working on generation five of a particular line, he was probably already looking ahead at generation seven or generation eight. Hmm. That's what so, successful you know, people do for sure. Well, yep. that's what, that's what people do that had been in it for a long time, did their homework, did their research and, 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 and made the right cross, made the right decisions and didn't just go breed to the next best thing. that's out that, you know, that, that's, that's out there. He stuck to family breeding, line breeding, and when he when he had to throw some brag blood in, he threw some brag blood in. Um, later years in, in 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 later years in life, he he added a few more lines of dogs. But the foundation, everything that we've been talking about, is his dogs all started with Vaughn blood and brag blood, and it just took off from there. Mm-hmm. Well. Let's wrap this thing up. I think we're going to have to have another podcast for sure to continue the conversation. And, um, but, uh, Jacob, you got anything you want to wrap up with? Anything we um, haven't covered? Oh, there's so much we haven't covered, but like you said, maybe <laughs> we'll do this again. Yeah. I got, I got to stop <laughs> a- asking these questions and walking right into that, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, um, <laughs> You know, as far as, as as what Kenneth meant to me, it was, and and, and I know same way with 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 Ken. Um, Kenneth was a was a just a tremendous friend that that like you know, I don't believe there'd be a replacement for that because. You know, it was it was every morning when I when I would either get up or whoever got up first. You know, the little green light would come on Messenger when you was up and about, and and as as soon as I would hit that, he would send me a message. You know, the same thing: how's the weather, or what's going on, or what dogs is anybody in heat, or you know, this and that and the other. And um, it's just a loss that that it it'll never be replaced. But I just hope that um that will be capable of um of carrying on this line the way he wanted to and i and i believe we will i'm pretty sure i'm 99.9 percent sure we will um but it's going to take take both ken and i both to do it and um you know and like i said it takes my family to do it because um you know i'm gone all week you know um and my son and and wife is, is taking care of these dogs while I'm gone. So they have uh, just as much uh, hands in this as I do, you know. Without them, I wouldn't be able to do it either. Yeah. Yep. Powerful. Ken, what you got? What do you think? Closing thoughts? Well, I just want to I, I, there's, there's one thing I do want to say that the on, on May the 1st of 2020, when I, when I went down to Ken's, um, that was one of the hardest days. I think I, he, it, I've ever seen him with so much emotion because that was the day that I took, I, I took the rest of the dogs and he inspected every dog as I let him by the house. He looked them all over. He told me, 
his own little bits and pieces and quirks on every one of the dogs I led by. But just to see his emotion as he looked out that the the dog pens were empty, there was no more dogs out there at the dog chains, is, is just something that I will never forget just to see him standing there on the back porch, looking out there and everything was, was, was empty. Um, that was a very difficult day for him. It was a very difficult day for me. Um, that's one thing I will never forget. And, um, I am very honored that, uh, his, his wife gave me the rest of his dog, the other couple dogs at, at uh, the weekend of his funeral. He had, there was still a, a couple of blue dog, blue 10 and hillbilly. Mm-hmm. Um, she wanted, she wanted me to take them. And I was very honored to be able to, I was asked to speak at his funeral and I did. And I was very honored to be a pallbearer at his funeral. He, uh, he was, he was a good man. Um, not just with dogs. He was a very godly man. He was a Baptist preacher. Um, he was very, very proud of that. Uh, he worked for the Clay County Highway Department for 30 plus years and had a wonderful wife and four daughters. And I, I treasure their friendship. Um, they've welcomed, I've been a member of their family for many, many years. I'm very proud of them. I very lovingly call her mom. And mm. those, those girls, those girls are, are my sisters. I love them all. Um, so this, this, this is much deeper than just dogs. There's a yeah. lot more. And I'm very thankful that, that Ken Adkins was a part of my life. I don't think there's any way better way to sum it up than that. That's a powerful message. Cool. And guys, I'm just going to close this thing out on that. Give Ken the last word on that and just say, you follow your hounds and I'll follow mine. <laughs>